0: This is Kona Bible Church. Thanks for listening. We pray that you will experience God's blessing as you consider Pastor Brian's latest message from his series, Embrace Submission With Wisdom from the book of 2 Corinthians. We're in the series in Paul's letters to the church, a love summons. Uh, I think it's so important for us to continue to be reminded of that idea that the creator of the universe has the authority to call you together as the people of God. Now, we, uh, he's given us a certain amount of freedom that we can reject that, uh, unlike earthly authorities who don't usually give us that freedom. Uh, they use their authority to, uh, to make us pay when we don't assemble uh, or come or respond to that summons. But God uh, does this in love because he wants you to experience uh, life, ultimately. And part of that life is that we grow Right, we don't just kind of accept the Lord uh, and accept the gospel and then just oh we've we've suddenly made it. No, we actually have to grow in our faith and mature. And so Paul is going through this through uh, these writing to these churches and inviting some maturity. It's a call to maturity. Uh, in First Corinthians, we saw this idea of embracing unity, and really the the reality is division is one of the most immature things that you can you can kind of kind of see in life. Uh, We divide so often over the silliest little things. And I don't even have to move outside of the church to talk about the silliness of division. When we think about all the different denominations, 40,000 plus denominations, typically dividing over ridiculous things. Uh, And so, um, no, what, what do we do? Paul's calling them back and saying, no, you have to embrace unity. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit to somehow recognize that we don't have to be uniform, right? We don't all have to be the same. Uh, When you think of just baptism in general, some can sprinkle. That's okay. Some can immerse. I prefer that. And some can, what else do we do? Sprinkle, dunk. What else do we do? There's all kinds of different ways that you can, I feel like there's another one. There a third way to... Baptized. Anyhow, you'd think I know because I studied this. It's kind of funny. All right. Uh, Call a, a maturity, embrace unity. That's what 1 Corinthians was, was all about. Now we are into 2 Corinthians, and he is inviting us to embrace submission with wisdom. Right? So there's this whole idea, this dynamic that we are to submit not only to one another, but there's authorities that we have to submit to, including spiritual authorities, But we don't just willy-nilly submit to anybody. We know we have to take the pulse of, of who we submit to. And so this is what we've been kind of walking through, and we're asking you to consider some questions. When we do that, what we're doing is we're really inviting you to take the pulse. Take the pulse of different spiritual authorities and really kinda go, are they authorities that I can trust that will bring life to me, or are these authorities really only about building their own kingdom? And so we uh, looked, we started off 2 Corinthians in chapter 10, and we did 10, 11, 12, and 13 all in one week to set the context for you that Paul is really talking to a church that's full of teenagers, a a bunch of people that really didn't want to submit to authority. They didn't really like the idea of authority, and they certainly didn't want to submit to Paul's authority. And so Paul is kind of giving you the tension in those chapters, and the question that we really asked uh, during those chapters is, are their actions motivated for themselves or for others? uh, Another way that you could ask that question is, whose kingdom are they building? Are they building a kingdom for themselves, or are they building a kingdom for Christ? Uh, And so that's one of the questions that we looked at. Last week we looked at this. The main question we looked at is what is their testimony when they encounter adversity? And I'm not just talking about any kind of adversity. I'm talking about adversity in regards to the gospel. I don't care what your reaction is to just willy-nilly adversity. I care about what your reaction is when you are living the Jesus way and encountering adversity. That's what we are gauging. What is their testimony? Do they see the bigger picture? Remember, uh, the whole life of Job or the book of Job is that whole story of there's things that are happening to him that are beyond just him, that are meant for a bigger audience. So We talk about it in the grid here. Are the reasons, circumstances that you're experiencing or the adversity that you're experiencing, is it because there's sin in your life? That's the first question you can ask yourself. Uh, Jen kind of pointed out, she, she started on the grid and got to the first one and she stopped and she was like, you know what? I think there might be a little bit of sin in my life, right? But if you kind of evaluate your life and you go, no, I don't think it's because of sin, you move to the next thing. God, are you trying to teach me something about you? Uh, and, and perhaps maybe you're, you're looking at your situation and going, I already know that about you. Uh, in which case you'd go to the third thing and, and say, Lord, are you trying to teach others about you through my response to this adversity, right? This is the bigger picture that we see, uh, particularly in the life of Job, but also Paul is drawing attention to that. The second thing uh, when it comes to testimony is from whom do they get their confidence, right? Uh, Are they pointing to their own resume and going, hey, look at all the things that I've done. You know, you should have confidence in me because of my resume. Or are they pointing to, their belief in a God who's able to raise the dead back to life. In which case, when you point to your resume, you are looking not at the things that you've done well, you're looking at your weaknesses. Because in your weaknesses, God will be made known. And so it's kind of an interesting dynamic that Paul is is kind of putting forth here. Third thing is, do they point to a hope beyond their circumstances? And that's the real question. Are they pointing... To a God who's able to raise the dead back to life. Now, the key in this entire series is to begin to kind of go, okay, I'm evaluating the spiritual authorities in my life. You can think about, uh, now in in a Bible church, we're kind of relatively flat, but there are more authorities than you think, right? It's the voices that go into your spiritual journey. They could be friends, they could be family, they could be uh, a radio station, a radio program, they could be teachers on TV, they could be teachers in the church, they could be uh, other authorities that may not even identify themselves as Christian, and yet you are going to them for your source of of information, uh, for encouragement. What I want you to do is I want you to begin to evaluate these on the basis of some of these questions. And the second, then, most important thing is to take those those thoughts and take a mirror and hold it up to yourself. Because the reality is that we are to submit to one another in the church. Essentially, what that's inviting you to do is to give authority to one another uh, in your life. And, and so the, re- the reality is are you the type of person then who reflects being a, 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 a spiritual authority who is going to bring life? to those around you. So that when your girlfriend, or, or boy, guys don't have boyfriends, I can say that about girls, but guys, we don't have boyfriends. Uh, when guys call each other up, because <laughs> we're tough, and uh, we're like, hey, well, I'd like to have some coffee. First of all, we never even do this. Um, I invite you guys out for coffee all the time every week. I'm like, hey, call me for coffee, I'd be happy to talk. And no, nobody ever takes me up on it. I've got this huge budget for coffee, and nobody ever takes me up I mean, Come on, what are you, doing? let's go, let's go, chop, chop. Uh, maybe I should say uh, uh, my ties. You want a my tie? You, you want to wrestle with God over my ties? I'll do that. If like my tie, how about we go singular my tie? Uh, so when we talk about this, we call each other up and we go: Are you the type of authority that's going to come back and say to whatever circumstances is, is being revealed to you, are you going to say to them, is the language? It doesn't have to be the same as mine, but ultimately the hope rests in the foundation. That there is a God who's able to raise the dead back to life, that can overcome the circumstances in your life, the adversity that you're facing. Is that coming out of your language when you are being used as an authority in somebody else's life? When you are giving advice or recommendations or just uh, consoling somebody, are you coming back to that primary hope? Uh, that has to be a part of it. And so, again, yes, I want you to evaluate others in this, right? We, we have to do so. We have to submit to authorities, but we want to do it with wisdom. Uh, but then I also want you to examine yourselves. And so today we've got uh, brand new questions um, for how we can evaluate spiritual authorities. Let's jump in to 2 Corinthians 1, 12 to 22. We've got this. For our reason for confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that with pure motives and sincerity, which are from God, not by human wisdom, but by the grace of God, we conducted ourselves in the world and all the more toward you. For we do not write to you anything other than what you can read and also understand. But I hope that you will understand completely, just as also you have partly understood us, that we are your source of pride just as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. And with this confidence, I intended to come to you first so that you would get a second opportunity to see us and through your help to go on into Macedonia and then from Macedonia to come back to you and be helped on our way into Judea by you. Therefore, when I was planning to do this, I did not do so without thinking about what I was doing, did I? Or do I make my plans according to mere human standards, so that I would be saying both yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? But as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one who is proclaimed among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but it has always been yes in him. For every one of God's promises are yes in him, therefore also through him the amen is spoken to the glory we give to God. But it is God who establishes us together with you in Christ, who anointed us, who also sealed us, and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a down payment." All right, we got some new questions to ask here as we think about evaluating spiritual authorities. The first question I'd invite you to consider is this: How do the spiritual authorities in your life conduct themselves in the world and towards you? Right? It's it's very easy, I think, sometimes to be able to think about spiritual authorities, and a lot of times we we maybe inflate our interactions with those spiritual authorities and we go, oh, they're, they're good people, right? I, I saw how they were treating me and, well, I'm worthy of good treatment, so uh, obviously I have nothing to question when they treat me well. But the reality is you can kind of begin to get a little bit of a tell on spiritual authorities uh, and whether their motives are, are pure, as we ask, and sincere as you begin to see if that's consistent, Is it just you that they are kind of treating nicely, or is it everybody that they are treating nicely with respect, with sincerity, and with pure motives? And and sometimes James points to this in in his book when he talks about poor and rich people. Uh, And so one of the ways that you can kind of tell is, is this spiritual authority only treating rich people in a certain way, or is he treating everybody in a certain way? It's a good tell, Right, Uh, like I said, keep the pulse of these things and ask yourself a question: Do you want to submit to an authority that is only going to really uh, be have have motives with rich people, or are they going to be consistent with everybody with whom they come in contact? Doesn't have to be just rich or poor either; it can be racial. Right, when you think about, are they going to treat? Different people from different races the same, or are they going to give preferential treatment to one race over another? These are good questions to begin to ask yourself, because when we submit to an authority, we want to do so with wisdom. We don't want to just kind of walk into this and go, oh, well, they've got the position, so I must. There is a degree of, uh, of the fact that, well, yes, we do submit to certain authorities in, in a sense but when we talk about who we gain life from, who are we going to really put into care, we, we have to take the tell. And, and one of those is, how are they treating others? And, and then the question obviously becomes, well, if that's true for who I want to submit to, are you that person? If somebody were to come to you and ask and say, hey, I'd like to grab a coffee, I'd like to talk through some things, do you think that they would be getting preferential treatment from you, or do you think that they would be, that your, their response to you would be the same as anybody else's response? See, if it's different, how can you possibly trust it, right? It's one, of the, it's one of the things that you can look back at church history and go, man, the message has been jeopardized because there have been spiritual communities of faith who have treated Differently, different groups of people. So, whether it's socioeconomic, whether it's race, uh, it's, I mean, I feel like in the Lutheran church, it's age. I feel like they're like, well, we'll talk to old people, but the rest of you young people, we don't even want you around. Now, I'm joking a little bit because they, we just have an average age of 77 or something like that in the Lutheran church. But there is a failure to pass on the message to the next generations, plural, in that that community, but can it be because of preferential treatment? Uh, And so these are some of the questions that we have to begin asking ourselves. And so as you think about those spiritual authorities, are they conducting themselves in the world and with you similarly? It's a good tell. If you find that it's consistent, ooh, uh, that's somebody you might want to gravitate toward and go, oh, this, this is the type of uh, a relationship that's going to bring life, right? Uh, and then also uh, evaluate that for yourself and, and adapt uh, to that. Second question that you, you can ask yourself here is, is there any difference between them and earthly authorities, Ooh, that's interesting, because that's what Paul is kind of saying here, right? He's coming back and he's saying, uh, we conducted ourselves in the world and all the more toward you, right, with sincerity and with purity, but what? With a wisdom not by human means, right? It wasn't something that was by human. And so when you think about that, I invite you to consider what we talk about in here, the Jesus way. The Jesus way is different than the worldly way. And so when you, we begin to think about that, the people that you're going to for counsel, to be under their authority, are they mimicking or parroting worldly wisdom, or are they giving you Jesus' wisdom? Now, uh, how you might be able to tell this is, is by this. So when you see these people out, are they speaking one way in, in one community, uh, a community where you know they find you know, that it's a, it's a good audience, right? An audience that will agree with them. And then when they go to another audience that they are speaking differently. You see, that's worldly. That's the worldly way, that's the worldly wisdom. In fact, we have a name for those people. They're called politicians, <laughs> right? So they, they get in front of one audience and they start speaking a certain way because they know that the, the, the how they're speaking is resonating with that audience. But as soon as they get in front of another audience, they're going to speak a different way. Now, the problem is we've got too many politicians behind pulpits these days. And because of that, we've got the same dynamic happening in the church. And what's happening is they are not standing on the foundation of the truth of God's word. No, they're, they're, they're just taking, you know, they're taking the litmus test of the world. What works in certain audiences uh, then they'll, they'll kind of base their message on that. You see, I serve in, in, in the Lutheran church. It's, it, this, this church locally here is part of a denomination that's probably the, the most liberal denomination in, in America. And they love talking about God's love, but they will not talk about God's judgment no, there are certain things, there are certain passages. Uh, when the bishop was here, I was preaching from a passage. He came up afterwards, and this was a passage in Genesis. He came up afterwards and he said, we don't even have that as part of our yearly liturgical cycle. It never gets read, what I spoke on that day. Now, there's complexity to the passage that I shared that Sunday, but the reality is, is they are creating a Bible that fits the audience, that is not, that, that's a politician standing behind a pulpit, okay? When you are beginning to kind of take the pulse of the authorities that you will submit to, and you want to do that in wisdom, ask yourself the question, are they speaking the same in every audience that they're speaking to? Is there any difference between them and earthly authorities? Are they just parroting the wisdom of this world, or are they getting up and going, no, wait a minute, when it comes to genders, I'm reading the Bible here, and I know we might have to wrestle with this, but it's saying that there's a man and a woman, right? They're not somehow taking, taking the pulse of the world and going, well, wait a minute, everybody seems to be confused about this right now, so maybe, maybe I should be a little less, uh, maybe a little more timid in how I approach this, and, and not so confident, no, we come back to the truth of the word of God. It doesn't mean that we, we, don't, we do so without empathy, right? Of course our culture is facing gender dysphoria. That is a difficult thing to go through. We can do so with empathy, but we don't have to be empathetic without truth. So we, we come back and we go, no, what I'm saying here is what this ancient book told me. This ancient book, this path that leads to life, it seems to lead to life, and and the more I follow this path, the more trustworthy it seems to be, and I invite you to consider it too, it seems like there's two genders. And, And we may have to wrestle through that in an empathetic way with different people, but we have to be able to speak from the truth, not from a place of confusion or taking the litmus test of what's popular in the world. Third question that you can ask is, are they pointing you towards their efforts, right? Like to the resume, right? You go back and you go, uh, are these people kind of focused on uh, kind of having you submit because of their resume? Hey, look what I've done. Look at all the things that I've accomplished. You can trust me because I've done it before and I've, I've, I've done this, this, and that. Or are they pointing to God? and his efforts through you. Now, this happened to me most recently. I don't even think they're here today. This is, this is, this is great. I can use them as an illustration. They're not even here. Jeff and Pasha, uh just kind of started coming to our church, for, I don't know, like the last two months or so, and they came for a work day. I started showing them around, and they were here for, I don't know, four hours or so because they're really good Christians. They were here at work day. <laughs> Wait, what? Did I just say that? <laughs> That's crazy. Why would I say that? Uh, no, they were here, and we, so I started talking, and I was, I was saying, oh, and, and when, before I got here, you should have seen the, the Sunday school classes, and before I got here, you should have seen the land, and da-da-da-da, right? Like, it's quite obvious that in the last five and a half years, like, things, significant things have happened around this facility and property. And on top of that, what is happening in the facility and the property is simply a mirror to the spiritual things that are unfolding here as well. Well, after describing this over the course of four, it took me four hours. I was just, no, I didn't, it wasn't the whole time. It was here and there during the four hours. But I got home and I thought about it. It struck me immediately when I got home. I was like, well, that sounded an awful, there were an awful lot of eyes in that conversation. A lot of, uh, look at what I have done. And so I texted them back and I was like, just to be clear, just to be clear. It is the grace of God that I am cooperating with in order for these things to happen. It is simply the grace of God. And that's the truth, right? It's not that our story is not a part of it, but it's not about us. It's about God. And so we have to think back to your spiritual authorities. When you're evaluating them, are they sharing their resume and their kingdom that they're building, or are they talking about how awesome it is to be a part of his story? And, and, and I wanted to make, very clear, I'll make it very clear now here publicly with you, it's awesome to be a part of his story. And it is certainly not just about one person, it is about a community of faith coming together and making this happen. It's a beautiful thing to see. this. The, the, it, not only is it beautiful literally, physically, tangibly here at this property, it is beautiful getting to know the people that we are becoming because God is doing something miraculous in us. He is taking a, a, a Lutheran church that, that was possessive and territorial and God is causing new life to come into them and saying, Come, come share the goodness that we have of God. It is a beautiful story that's unfolding here, and God is uh, behind all of it. And so that's a question that you would want to ask yourself, uh, not only about the others, the other spiritual authorities in in your life, but then of yourself. Whose story are you telling? Are you telling your story or his story? I would invite you to consider uh, making sure that we are telling his story. Fourth question that you can ask is this, are they using their authority to empower others? Ooh, man, this is a tough one right here because authority gives you certain amount of control, right? This is why teenagers leave at a certain point because parents use their authority to control or conform behavior as long as they possibly can. And somewhere around 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, those teenagers wake up and they go, you cannot conform me any longer, right? And it's a story of of teenagers, that's the story. They recognize that when that authority is being used in an oppressive way, it's not bringing life. And, And yes, can we get kids to conform to a certain degree of behavior? Outward appearance? Oh, yeah, we can, for sure, right? I mean, institutions and organizations can certainly do that. They can conform people on an outward, but has it ever changed the heart? Never. It never changes the heart. And so when you think of your spiritual authorities, whether it's being a parent, whether it's being a pastor, whether it's being a, a confidant, that is, you are, you are going to begin to evaluate, are they simply trying to get me to conform to something, or are they uh, trying to get me to empower so that I'm involved in the, in the wrestling match, right, in the journey? And, and this is so, I mean, think about it, like, it's so funny. When I got here, uh, like, we literally had a kitchen Nazi at the Lutheran church. They were like, watch out for her, she's the kitchen Nazi, and it's like, uh, she's like the sweetest lady in the whole world, but boy, she was territorial about that kitchen. Now, there's a, a reason to be territorial about the kitchen in some regards, but if you're using your authority that you've been granted to oppress people or control people and not to empower them, well then, that's a tell that you probably aren't a trustworthy spiritual authority. So whatever authority you have been given to, whatever your, cool, we all have kulianas, right? We all have these little, these little areas of responsibility that we have, and what we need to do with those areas of responsibility is not somehow seize them and go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a story about me with this kuleana. No, what we need to do is we go, how can I invite others to be a part of his story with this responsibility? Now, here, here's the key. The reason why the Lutheran Church has got two generations miss, missing is because I think they missed the opportunity to tell young people, you're a part of our story. Like, you can do this. Like, we can do this together. And, and, and instead of, I mean, think about, it, this isn't just the Lutheran Church right here. This is any situation where you have people of age looking at, at the little guys and going, ha, you sit there. I'll put on the show for you, okay? It'll be fine. I got it, right? Instead of saying, you know what? It might be painful for a little while, right? Because there's going to be a learning curve for how we engage, but, be, but ultimately you're going to bring even more life if we empower you, right? Not just as, as churches, but as parents too, right? Sometimes I, th- I think about, like, I, you, walk, you go to other people, and it's like, wow, your kids don't do anything. Like, what is happening? In the- eh, when they get involved, it's a train wreck. <sighs> well, yes, it is. There is a learning curve, but we have to invite them and empower them to go, you know what? God has created us in his image to bring order, purpose, and life And we're going to do that together as a family. Uh, Now, he's given us some authority as parents in order to take that authority and empower you to be a part of the story so that when we're done, we collectively come back and we go, man, wasn't it awesome to be a part of his story as a family together? That's the design that he has for us. But it's not just in our physical families, it's in our spiritual families as well. So how do we in the church empower others to do this? Well, this is really getting to the basis of why we have a testimony time, right? You know, we looked around and we at a certain point, I was like, I don't think Christians know how to pray. To be perfectly honest with you, I don't think they know how to pray. Like, Like, that's not a gift, folks. I hate to break it to you, but praying is not a gift. That's something every one of us ought to be able to do. And so that when you are called for that coffee and you are there at the Starbucks and the person has just poured out this train wreck of circumstances that they have in their life, that you don't just go, hang in there, it'll be okay. No, but that you what? Stop, drop, and pray. Right there. Whenever you hear a need, whenever you hear a circumstance, I don't care if you're in Target, I don't care if you're at Starbucks, the evil empire, I don't care if you're at, you know, the righteous coffee shop, here in town, Kona coffee and tea. Uh, I, I don't care where you're at. Stop, drop, and pray. It is our calling. It's not a gift. And so if, if we're not good at it, well, then we're going to, in church, well, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to empower us to be able to recognize, wow, every one of us can do this. And you know what the best prayer, like I hate to, I hate to break this to you. Do you know what the best prayers are? The best prayers come from the people who are the most timid. They're the best, I'm telling you. They're the best prayers. The, one, the uh don't call me, Pastor, Pastor, please. Please, Pastor, please, Pastor! Do not call me up to pray. Oh, I will respect that. I will not necessarily call you every single time, but there is something about, yes, I, that's the very person I'm looking for. Right, because it's the most innocent prayer. Like, uh, Brad tells me, he's like, I'll pray, but it's going to be a sniper prayer. You know what a sniper prayer is? Short, sweet, and to the point. Right? And I love them. I love sniper prayers. Right? There are, there's beauty in the, in the body of Christ and how we all are on our wrestling match with God. We all have a testimony. That's why we have testimony time. Not just for prayer, but also to get up and be able to, to testify about God. We all have a story, each one of us. And so we invite you, not just a certain age, not just a certain spiritual maturity, we invite everyone to come up. And there are times where, yes, we we all know it. There's times where we're gritting our teeth and going, ah, I hope this testimony ends sooner rather than later. Yes, but what's happening is that they are developing the skill to be able to testify, Right? To be a part of the body of Christ. And we want to empower that. We want to be able to empower people that they too have a voice in the community of faith. And so we will not throw the baby out with the bathwater. We will endure those testimonies and pray that as we learn how to do those, that that, that we grow in that ability to do it. Uh, another question that we ask is this: are they theologically aware? It's all well and good. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, these are spiritual authorities. And so at the end of the day, they do have to have an awareness of theological truth. Now, when I say that, well, I, I, forget, I get very nervous when I say theological awareness because it sounds like we're studying a what, right? It is not studying a what. It is getting to know a who. We need to get to know Jesus, right? Do your spiritual authorities, do they know Jesus is what I mean by that question. But Paul, he lays it out here, right? He gives some, like he, he walks through some difficulty and then he goes, but then what is the end? He, he's always interweaving theology or his relationship with Jesus back into as a foundation for what he's doing. And so as you go to your spiritual authorities, are they just giving you like kind of practical stuff or are they weaving back into the, into the, into the conversation their relationship with a who Jesus what's he say he says but it is God who establishes us together with you in Christ and who appointed us who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment you walk through I could spend I don't know a couple weeks probably unpacking that just from a preaching perspective what does it mean to be established together what does it mean to be anointed? What does it mean to be sealed? What does it mean to have the Holy Spirit in our hearts? What does the down payment mean? Like, we could sit here and we could unpack each of these things. And for Paul, they are the foundation for why he is giving us these questions to consider when we think about our, our spiritual authorities. So at the end of the day, when you're going and to a spiritual authority, you do so with wisdom, asking questions. Taking the pulse of these people so that you know that there is a degree of life that is going to come through them to you and through you to others, right? And then you ask the questions about yourself, are you theologically aware? Would you be able to unpack that statement? Do you understand what it means to have the Holy Spirit reside in your hearts? Do you understand what that means, to that it's a down payment, Right? Because we talk about a God who's able to raise the dead back to life, and he does so through the forgiveness of sins offered in Jesus' name. And because of that, we get the Holy Spirit as a down payment that what? That one day we will be fully raised. Now, the beauty of a down payment is that we have this assurance that it is going to happen but we also have this temporal position of residence, of the, of the power that raised Jesus back to life. He's temporarily, resi- like we can do, it doesn't have to be as corrupt as it is right now because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. This is a beautiful thing. And, and so th- these are the questions. These are the beginnings of questions that I would appeal to you to consider about the spiritual authorities that you have in your life. Who are you going to? Do they have these characteristics in them? And then, do you have those characteristics in you? Father, this is my prayer for us as a people. For me first as a a pastor, I already saw my deficiencies when I was saying I, 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 and I had to come back and be like, oh, oh, that's a terrible spiritual authority. No, it is you, you, you. It is your grace active in our lives. So Father, I... Uh, I, I just pray that you will pour out your spirit on us in a powerful way, that we will be a part of your story, that we will cooperate with your spirit to overcome these, the tendency to, to be an authority that, that is about ourselves, about our own kingdom, but that we will become authorities that are about your kingdom, about you, and, 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 and revealing your life to others. Will you help us in that regard? Will you bless us Uh, and lead us toward that cooperative relationship with your Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name.